welcome to ECI's podcast, Building Successful Businesses, where we speak to CEOs about the building blocks for success and the lessons they've learned along the way. Today, our very first guest, our very first show is German Hundel, co-founder and CEO of MIQ, a programmatic marketing partner that ECI invested in in 2017. So welcome. Thanks for having me. I was, I was sort of weighing up how to describe actually what MIQ does. So I, I said programmatic marketing partner, but that, that probably isn't the best description. Um, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah, sure. So we effectively help brands with their digital advertising. Uh, you could say there's three ways in which um, brands can advertise digitally. Firstly is they could buy ads, what's called search. So buy those sort of keywords that you search for in Google or is social. So those are those ads you see in your news feeds on Facebook, Instagram, etc. Or then there's this third category called display, which used to be simply just the banner ad you saw on websites visited through your mo through your desktop or your mobile or or banner ads you saw on apps within your mobile or tablets. But even more so now it's more the the TV ads that you see on your t- connected TV device or those digital out of home screens that you see all those audio channels that you're streaming, whether it's, you know, through various different types of devices you can stream audio in. And display is the sort of area that we help advertisers buy adverts on. So we take their budget, decide which are the right uh, media outlets to buy, which are the right devices to buy across. Um, And the method we use to buy those ads is this method called programmatic, which enables basically you to use any data asset you can think of to buy ads on any media outlet you can think of, um, on any device you can think of. So. And and you set up the business 10 years ago, is that about right? So is that is it always been sort of those three categories or actually has it changed quite a lot over 10 years and it sort of advances in digital marketing? Digital has always been search, social and display actually. Display has changed massively though. So yeah. display, like I said, used to just be in the old, old days, it was those horrible things called pop-ups. It's moved from, sort of like I said, being those sort of ads you see in, in the websites, you visit, or their video ads or the banners you see in and around the, the content, to then mobile become dominant. But now the really exciting thing is what you used to call offline advertising channels like TV or mm. outdoor or, or radio are now all becoming online because as consumers, we consume all those media now on devices connected to the internet. So I've watched most of my TV on a, either a TV connected to the internet or through a tablet or through a desktop. You know, I walk past more outdoor signs that are digitally enabled, not the old school posters that you see. Yeah. And most of the audio I listen to now isn't on the traditional radio, it's on streamed content. And if it's connected to the internet, it becomes display advertising and the best way to buy display advertising is using this technique called programmatic, which we're specialists at. Makes sense. And, and how's sort of, obviously, how's 2020 been? It's quite a loaded question, but obviously at the start of the pandemic, there was quite a lot of talk about how uh, advertisers, you know, didn't want to get associated with any sort of negative news stories. But you're, you're a global business. Have you seen seen that across for programmatic and sort of digital marketing as well? Or actually has that kind of uh, maintained and got back to normal quite quickly? You know, there's a lot of unfortunate industries of what's happened in the health crisis and the economic crisis. But I think our industry, certainly programmatic display within the advertising ecosystem, has benefited, really. So, yes, businesses aren't performing as well. So they're spending less money on advertising. 
But those that are spending on advertising are probably spending more on programmatic display than they were before. And that's been driven by it's a more measurable medium, so they can track their returns quickly. But also the fact as consumers, if our consumers have been at home, they've been consuming more content, you know, streaming TV, you know, through apps like, you know, OTT apps, et cetera, or whether you're listening to more podcasts, et cetera, devices, because yeah. it's just more consumption of media that, that on devices connected to the internet, which has meant that programmatic display has been a good vehicle for those companies that still want to advertise. And a lot of companies have had to pivot their businesses online. So it's been a bit of an acceleration. Companies that were a little bit slow and sort of still clinging on to the old way of doing things have just sort of accelerated those moves because they've learned they've had to. All all of that all of that things has been generally pretty positive for our industry. And so MIQ as a business has ended up doing very well actually in 2020 compared to probably a lot of businesses in the sector. Yeah, I think I think a lot a lot of companies have had to almost rely more on their marketing departments because they're not getting business or customers through their normal yeah. normal ways. That definitely makes sense. If we move on to sort of your personal business journey, so one of the questions I always really like to know is about people's first jobs because often I think they're quite interesting, especially people don't always know straight away what they want to do. So I guess if we start right at the beginning, what was your first job and um, what did you what did you learn from it? So I'd say my parents had a shoe shop uh, selling ladies' shoes in a shopping centre in uh, in uh, Luton. Yeah. And so I'd say from about three or four years old, because there was nowhere to send me, I would have to go and sit in that shop all day, <laughs> basically. So I guess what I learned from just hearing how my parents were running their business, I sort of learned how important cash flow was and how to manage suppliers, because I've heard all their arguments with all their suppliers. And like that. Um, so that, it wasn't a job, but it was definitely an experience. And then I'd say while I was at school, I was a waiter at Pizza Hut. And I guess I learned about customer service um, <laughs> at Pizza Hut um, and working in quite a fast paced restaurant. Um, I actually think everyone needs a job like that at some point, because actually it teaches you quite a lot about how to be a customer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It starts to be a lot nicer. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I always remember the selective selling training you used to get. Like, so, you know, if they didn't order a salad bowl, you'd always have to say, would you like a salad bowl with that? And so, I was, oh, that's the sales technique. And then I, uh, actually, I'll tell you, the only job I ever got fired from was I was working in a factory on a production line where it says buy one, get one free, those little plastic sheets. Yeah. I used to make about, I don't know, thousands of them a day. It was such a boring job. I got fired because I was talking too much to my friend who started working there. So that, <laughs> that just taught me I don't want to work in a factory. But anyway, then to talk more professionally, I, I've only ever worked in this industry in digital okay. advertising. So when I was a student, I um, had to do a placement year, a part of my sort of four-year degree in the third year. I was applying everywhere. Like, I just wanted to get any sort of job. So the two areas I got really far was I was going to work in the HR department for the government's audit committee um or i had this chance to work at this sort of 15 person company which was an online advertising business i was like 19 at the time and um yeah i mean it was such my life could have been completely different (laughs) your sliding doors moment (laughs) yeah yeah. Uh, but yeah and from that job i I was more in the technical department of Mm. the company which was very which was really important because 
digital advertising merges with the worlds of technology quite a lot and you need to sort of be quite literate in a bit of detail when it comes to how you know how does an advert physically get displayed in front of a user i learned a lot of that sort of technical i call it the plumbing of our industry in mm. that uh, first year and i think that that's really held me good so that i had a sort of technical understanding and i could then build on sort of more commercial skills and things like that on, on top of that but that was probably for me the the best thing I learned and then I also learned that like you know I always used to think that you want to join an industry which is fast growth mm. so I was, it was no question for me like when I went back to finish my degree that I was coming back into online advertising which at that time used to not even take two percent of a marketer's budget you, know, you see that's where the world was going and where the marketing's been now you know it's the majority of a marketer's budget is going to digit in digital. So um, yeah, I learned that to stay in a growth industry and it was really good to have that technical foundations so that I could just sort of, and even now when I look at MIQ, like there's a level of understanding, even though it's not my expertise in engineering or in certain areas of product, there's yeah. a foundation level that's held me good, I think. So what was the transition from doing the internship to deciding to set up a business on your own in the space? I think it's more of a personal thing, really, actually. It was in the fact that I always wanted to run my own business. I always wanted to, you know, uh, be have the ability to have an idea and have no excuses to make it happen. And I, I do think that, like, I think when you're working, sometimes you let this sort of, well, the seniors don't let me do this, you know. And it was almost like, I, I never felt that. And all the companies I worked for, I felt I had great leaders and learned a lot from them. And I felt I got a lot of autonomy, actually. Mm. But I think it came to the point where I wanted that that accountability to be solely on, like, myself and Lee, uh, who's my business partner. That, that mm. like, you know, it, it all ended with us. So, you know, there's no excuses now. It's like, you know, we've got to come up with to, to the product idea, to how it's sold, to collecting the cash you know that that whole production line of a business is, is reliant on us and I think I wanted to to be in a position where like I could try and understand what the, to, to shape all of that and then ultimately be totally accountable to myself and family and 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 then I, I did quite I also did you know a big passion and purpose really of mine and Lee's is about creating an environment that people love to work in um, and making a big impact in people's lives so we were like really keen that okay if we could create a framework of how a business could run so that the business would grow but it would really over index on delivering for its people and yeah. so the people that join the company would essentially you know you know we always said that they're learning really a lot the most at this company they're making the best connections and friendships at this company they're earning really well at this company they're developing a lot they're having a lot of fun like if yeah. we could create an environment by running your own company, you've got more control of creating that environment. But importantly, ensuring the, that environment carries on as the business scales, you know, which tends to be it's not as easy as it sounds. Uh, but that was a big that's one of my biggest drivers today. But it was definitely a driver there. Um, and my favorite experiences and stories at MIQ are not to do with financial milestones we might have hit it's been like what impact we've had in certain people's lives not like we're not changing the world i'm not saying that but 
in within our four walls of MIQ, you know, there's been people who've come here who've, who've, who've had a really positive experience and, and managed to live great lives, you know. And, you know, it does it does change individual worlds because actually the amount of time people spend in their jobs, the amount of, you know, the importance that people have, the kind of um, confidence it can give you, it, it is sort of, you know, it does not change maybe the world on a grand scale, but certainly on a, on a little scale. You mentioned you had some great leaders then during your career. Do you think that's something that they instilled in you? Uh, yeah, I, I, like, okay, so I was very young, right? So an interesting story about me and my business partner, actually, was that he used to work at the company when I was an intern. And then when I cut, and he was, he was like the bestseller, right? Yeah. And then by the time I went back to uni, he became the head of sales. He said, don't work in all the technical product department, come work for me in sales. Mm. And um, I was awful. I never sold hardly anything for six months. <laughs> And uh, used to, in our industry, it's a big thing to take clients out for lunch on a Friday. But I was very, I was always that one person in the sales team that had nobody to take out for lunch on a Friday. <laughs> and, and so uh, Lee would always take me out. <laughs> uh, and uh, oh, and anyway, I started to uh, talk a lot with Lee about, hey, I think we need to create a new product within the organisation um, to because I think. You know, it wasn't that I was a bad salesperson. The product obviously wasn't that good. <laughs> uh, and and Lee, Lee sort of backed that that thinking. And, and Lee actually backed it to the extent he said, right, I'm going to take this to the top levels of leadership in this company. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to resign from my position. And I'm going to ask them to let me and you set up a subdivision within this organization. Okay. Uh, and we did that. But six weeks into it, Lee got headhunted to do the exact same thing for... <laughs> this company's biggest competitor. Um, right. And, you know, I was, I don't know, like 22, 23 or something at that time. Um, but the the managing director of that company said, as soon as Lee resigned, I got called into the office and I got a massive promotion. He said, right, now this is your gig. Go make right. it happen. Um, so I, I, I really respected him for that, actually. Yeah. That he, he backed me. Um, I had no experience. I had absolutely no right <laughs> to get Lee's job at that time, but um, and it and and it worked out. We we created a great product. It sold a lot, and we me and him ended up going to the the Daily Mail General Trust of the Mail Online Group to do the exact same thing there. But I kind of did learn from him that you you know backability and passion and like drive as much as you would back just experience and past achievements. Yeah, that's that's definitely um, interesting. You came sort of head of the department and hadn't actually sold <laughs> and yeah. then had to make it work. But sometimes I do think you need to get thrown into the deep end a little bit because actually that is when those things such as passion and sort of actually, you know, excitement for the product you created, that's kind of when those things come to the fore. Whilst unfortunately, you know, otherwise sometimes you can end up sort of going through the, the measures a little bit. Obviously, building a business isn't easy. What do you think the hardest lesson that you've learned is since setting up MIQ? So I think that there's no like um, silver bullet answer to that. Like, oh, this just, you know, I was trying to break into America. Yeah, that was really hard. Don't There was moments where that was, was felt like an impossible journey. 2020, we've decided to scale a business in China, probably one of the only companies who's made that decision so we've got political challenges health challenges economic challenges going but so there's always these little challenges i think the i think for me i think when you're certainly if you're 
take the position as global CEO in an organization, mm. founder or not. You're in this sort of the middle of this needs of like the shareholders, the investors, and the needs of the people. And then you've got this long term and then you've got short term. And you're always in the middle of trying to balance all these needs. And sometimes they can be hugely conflicting, actually. So I, I think that day-to-day challenge of trying to make sure, hey, we're still doing enough long-term, but we're hitting today's results. And we're hitting today's results in a way that gives us the ability to drive long-term results. Our people are really, really happy, and we're investing enough in people to a balanced extent that we're still delivering for shareholders, and investors, et cetera. And, and we're not, we're not like uh, jeopardizing any future opportunities we have as a business. I think just having to manage that balance day to day, I do think is is a challenge. And, it, and there's not sort of one rule that makes you be able to do it all. Actually, it's just your ability day to day to just make a thousand decisions that <laughs> yeah. are just enough on the correct side is <laughs> what really makes the difference. It's not the the big ticket things. Don't get me wrong, they, and that's what strategy is all about. Um, they um they do they do make an impact like if we didn't go to india and develop a great team there to build our our solution and our product we wouldn't be the business that we are now if we didn't go to america we wouldn't be at the scale we are now they're the big calls but i think for me is that managing that day-to-day balance of long-term short-term like shareholder needs and when you're one of the big shareholders as well it's a different dynamic as well uh to, to to the people needs it's um it's uh yeah it, it, it's it's just that 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 i think is the the challenge that i think a lot of people who start their own business or even people who are in ceo positions live through every day yeah and um i think uh it's obviously three years ago you uh, were looking for an investor and uh chose to uh, partner with eci do you think that there's anything that sort of surprised you about what it's been like having that shareholder interest in terms of private equity firm compared to when you were looking for investment? No, look, I'm going to be really honest here, like guys, and I don't want you to think I'm just saying this because it's an ECI sponsored podcast, but I have been so surprised at how much value gets added by having, like we have Tom Wren, we call him the silver bullet guy, you know, it's like it's always the answer to a absolute problem we have. That having like just a, very smart people with the experience involved in your business and it goes back to you do end up just making those micro decisions just better and it yeah. just gets better and the business just gets better and better and better and I never naivety probably expected that would be the case you know I was probably coming into it like oh you know well they're going to give you lots of money that's nice uh, but <laughs> Then they're gonna, I don't know, this is big dragon gonna come in and completely swallow up everything that's good about the business. And it's 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 really it's a, it, it's it, it's really weird actually when I speak to people who who have got have had no experience of private equity or in, uh, investment that that's the image. And I'm like, actually, it's not that at all. Like like our business is so much better. It's one of that's what our big milestone moment that made our business. Uh, even more scalable and 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 stable and 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 to the extent where it is now is that we got Tom on board. We're just a better business on all levels, and I guess I just did not expect that at all. I don't know if that's Tom, if that's ECI, or if that's just the whole industry. You know, uh, like you know, I guess 
I guess there's always good and bad stories, but we've certainly had an, an amazing experience. And I would always recommend to anybody to, and, I, and again, I ain't just saying this because it's CCI's podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just been a true experience for us that, like, be open-minded and certainly the person you're going to be working with day to day, like, that's critical. Yes, yeah, it's, it's super important. It's sort of a, it's a relationship thing, isn't it? They, you know, they're going to be sitting on your board. You're going to be talking to them a lot. And, you know, it's really important that you... Um, get on with them <laughs> you know it's actually super important what about in terms of obviously MIQ is now hugely successful big global business and really outstanding clients as that sort of become more successful over the last 10 years what do you think it sort of taught you about yourself not necessarily in terms of um yourself as a business leader but sort of just yourself as a, as a person well, I think confidence just get more confident in your instincts I think it's very easy to think, well, I've never done this before, so obviously I won't know what to do. So, you know, so your confidence could drop. But mm-hmm. I think, I mean, look, the one benefit I've had, of, you know, Tom's certainly one of them and one of the best advisors, but we've always had people around our, like, we almost created a board framework. It's not as sophisticated as it is now, but even before we had um, any form of investment, we had a chairman, for example, you know, et cetera, like that. Um, and having those people around you does help you um, make better decisions. But even on a, what I've learned is that actually the instincts that you develop through just having being so in, in deep in your business and running a business and all that exposure you get, mm. you know, is is a pretty strong muscle. And like learning to trust that more I'm learning that as 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 we scale, actually, um, and just as I get older and, and more mature, and I think, and then having advisors around you who who test that, but then if they end up promoting that, I think yeah. that's where you get that that confidence builds up. Whereas I think, I think when you're scaling a business, you just every day is an oh, I've never done this before. I've never done this before. I've never done. Oh, like oh god, this is a new challenge. Like and, and you're always thinking, well, when's the like, when is it that it's totally I'm not smart enough to know this and I might not be, but you find people around that your instincts of do are, are stronger than you think. think. Mm. But you can't but test your instincts with advice. And and do you think you ever found it hard to sort of uh trust people? Because I think often when you get people and they're scaling a business really quickly, there's an element of you which kind of wants to keep control because that way you know everything that's going on in your business. But that's also sort of impossible because, like you say, you need these kind of trusted people and people who know more than you around you. Did you find it hard to get that balance or were you always very confident to sort of delegate and learn? <laughs> yeah, my, my uncle, uh, my mum's younger brother, he said to me from a very young age, he said, he's like, gee, if you want to be smart, you'll learn from your mistakes. He's like, but if you want to be really, really smart, learn from other people's mistakes first. <laughs> And one of the things I always hear about founders and certainly founder CEOs is that they overly trust their instinct too much. You know, they don't take any input in at all and their their egos almost get the best of them and ultimately end up damaging the long-term sustainability of their businesses. And so I've been very cognizant of that. It's very minded mm. of anything I do. I'm like, am I, am I making that mistake or am I veering closer to making a common mistake here? I saw recently that uh, MIQ hired a head of diversity and inclusion, which I thought was a really interesting hire because it's not something that lots of businesses have. What was it that made you decide to invest in that in that area and hire that person? 
you can't build a great business unless it's an inclusive business. You can't. It's actually probably one of the regrets I have is that we haven't been quicker at taking inclusion diversity seriously and not just hiring a person, but hiring a different. It's, it's got to be a department. You can't even put it under talent. I think it's like it's like you have finance, you have product, you have marketing, you have uh, HR talent. And now I think you need to have inclusion as well because people you know, want transparency. They want to understand how decisions are made and they want to make sure that people have all got the equal opportunity and it's down to their ability, not any characteristic about themselves. And most businesses would say, oh, yeah, absolutely, I um, operate like that or we operate like that. But where there's where I'm learning that there's more of a lack of awareness is in just the day-to-day unconscious biases and decisions that you have, stereotypes you develop in your whole life, and how they can sort of get into the system of your business. And so if you don't have a framework to control and educate your teams around what, what though, how those biases could exist without them even knowing it, then you're not going to be as in, inclusive. And if you're not that inclusive, you ain't going to get a highly motivated workforce. And if you don't get a highly motivated workforce, you ain't going to drive financial growth. Basically. And so it's interesting now, because like if, if I told myself that at the start, I was like, no way am I investing any money in in this kind of stuff but uh i do tell a lot of people that like in the early stage business now it's like hey don't be too late but that's for me if our vision is if we can just make any person who comes through the miq walls to be that little bit more inclusive and that little bit more aware of their biases and uh, taking that 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 understanding of themselves and why inclusion put in their decisions yeah then 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 we've added we've over delivered for our people what, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs at the start of the journey? So they're just sort of thinking, you will have to set up their, you know, business. What, what advice would you give them having learned what you've learned over the last, last decade? Do trust your instincts, but almost uh, double down on your instincts by getting good advice around you because they'll either adapt your instinct and adapt your decisions or they'll back them and give you more confidence to follow them. But so get, get advice quickly. And, and around it doesn't stop tell you what to do or stop you doing anything. It just helps you make better decisions and, and it helps you grow your instinct muscle more. Yeah. But the last thing is just in everything that you can do, figure out how you can just a slightly over index for delivering for your people. Because if you get that level of trust from your and that includes inclusion, that includes good values, culture, good decision making around people. If you get that, that is the ultimate driver of your business even if you've got if you're strongly technology enabled or you've got a like very very you know unique product in the market all of that gets built from the people all of that gets sold from the people so that'd be so trust your instinct get advice around you and over deliver for your people Thanks to you so much for joining us today. I look forward to seeing more about how MIQ goes from strength to strength in the future.